that now in opening our Bibles to John chapter 10, verses 11 through 21. John 10, 11 through 21, page 1065 of your pew Bibles, which I encourage you to open. This is the fourth in our ongoing series here at Ammon Valley of Jesus' I Am Statements. And I know we have a lot of visitors today here because of Avery's baptism. And you could hear that we're right in the middle of a series, but uh, rest assured that each sermon will, will stand on its own and hopefully you can hear a word for yourself, regardless of if you've heard the first three in the series. Before we read the passage, I want to read the opening line of St. Augustine's sermon on this passage. He preached this about 1,600 years ago, and I think the opening line of his sermon will help us hear these words with fresh ears. He said of this passage, The Lord Jesus is speaking to his sheep, to those already so, and those yet to become such. That's what's happening in this passage. I love that, that simple way Augustine had of, of phrasing a powerful truth. The Lord Jesus is speaking, is speaking to his sheep. That's not just what's happening in this passage, but that's what's happening now as well as we read God's word together. We don't have to wonder what God would say. We don't have to wonder what would he say to us if we could just hear his voice. We have his word. We have here Jesus speaking to us, his sheep. And so with this in mind, um, let's find out what he says in John 10, starting at verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. To fully grasp the greatness of Jesus' teaching here in John 10, We need to know more of what has just happened in John chapter 9, in the preceding chapter. I reminded us last week that Jesus has just healed a man who was born blind, who suffered with this this terrible malady of being unable to see throughout his life, and it forced him to become a beggar at the temple gates. And Jesus healed this man 
on the Sabbath day. And that amazing work of compassion and God's power offended the Pharisees because they believed that Jesus was healing um, in a way that he shouldn't have been. And so the Pharisees, after this healing has just occurred, begin what is like an inquisition against Jesus. They bring before their tribunal the man who was healed. They bring before their group even the man's parents. They bring this man not just once before their, their group that is meant to evaluate him and his story, but, but actually they bring him back a second time to tell the story. And so we need to read what has just happened um, right before Jesus says he's the good shepherd in verses 24 through 28 of chapter 9, which will be on the screen. Hear how they're treating this man who's just been healed amazingly by the hand of Christ. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man, meaning Jesus, is a sinner. The man answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? The man answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And, and they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. And that term that we need to really focus in on this morning is they reviled him. They hated him. They did not want to hear the message of Christ. They did not want to hear the good news of Jesus. And so they reviled the man who was blind but could now see. This man had been healed. He'd been given new life. And as a result of receiving that new life through Jesus, he's shunned by the religious leaders. But that isn't the end of the story, thankfully. We continue reading in 35 through 38 of chapter 9. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. What did he do? And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. The man says, Lord, I believe, and worshipped him. So in that story in John chapter 9, we find a contrast between two kinds of shepherds. There are those who claim to be caretakers over the flock. And Jesus describes their work earlier in chapter 10. He said, of those counterfeit, phony shepherds, they come to steal and kill and destroy. Why? Because people don't matter to these false shepherds, to these religious leaders. Jesus referred to them in our passage as hired hands who don't care for the sheep. Even still today, this is one of the many reasons that people reject our faith, our Christian faith, is because they have experience with the hired hand who has done damage to their soul, to their lives. 
who steal and kill and destroy. And this doesn't just apply to ministers, to those who are false preachers, who, who should have care for people but have self-interest and self-centeredness at the root of their ministry work. It doesn't just apply to those pastors who teach what is false. It applies also to what happens in a home, to so often scenarios where there are those who are called to be shepherds who live sacrificially for the good of those under their care, but who act out of self-interest, out of anger. And this is the case that we could see all throughout church history, perhaps even today in, in many families as well, where a husband is called to be a shepherd of a family. He's called to lay down his life for the family. But selfishness, steals and kills and destroys the love and the peace that should be evident in that Christian home. We have this happening where parents are are given the great responsibility to tend to their children, like a shepherd tends a flock, but it's all too common that that's hard work to tend for kids, and so they outsource the parenting to teachers and TVs and coaches and musicians who write songs. The point here is that if we only talk about spiritual things in our homes, if we only talk about spiritual things in our church, but there is neglect or even abuse, where there is evident selfishness, our families and our churches will be just like those of the Pharisees. So on one hand, this example of the false shepherd should be like a warning to us that we should guard ourselves against that kind of life. But on the other hand, I use those examples to name some of the ways that people have been mistreated, like the man in John 9, who have been reviled, who have been cast out. It's so often the case that you would encounter somebody who is vehemently opposed to the Christian faith and you trace their story back and find there was someone who was called to be a good shepherd who was a false shepherd who hated instead of loving, who cast out instead of gave attention and care and a hospitable welcome to someone. And so we need to name those things in church at times, that there are those who are called shepherds, who are actually thieves and robbers, even wolves who scatter the flock. That's the work of a false shepherd, is to scatter the flock. But Jesus says... I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd. The emphasis in that sentence uh, in the original Greek language is very much on the adjective, the good, the goodness of Jesus' shepherd-like care for us. The world is full of bad shepherds. Jesus is the good shepherd. In the original Greek language, there are various words that one could use for to call something good. And in our English language, good does not sound like a very superlative term, does it? People say things like awesome and amazing and unprecedented or unparalleled. And in the Greek language, there are a lot of different ways of saying good. And here in this passage, we have the strongest word for good. Kalos is the Greek word. Jesus uses that strong term of of goodness to describe himself and his shepherd-like care for his sheep. 
This is the word that the people used to describe the wine when Jesus turned water into wine during his first miracle, where they say, you've brought out the best at the end of the wedding feast. And and the word they use to describe that wine is that it is so good, it is obvious, and everyone knows it. That's what the word means. That's how Jesus describes himself. So whenever the word was used to describe something, it's communicating something or uh, somebody's character that is obviously good so that anyone in their right mind would be able to see its goodness. And so Jesus is that kind of shepherd. He is the good shepherd, not just in the sense that he does a good job, but he's good to his core. So Jesus has a goodness in his character that is evident to everyone. Jesus has a goodness to his motives that is absolutely pure. Jesus' gentleness and his strength and his wisdom, his ability to protect the flock, his attentiveness to his sheep's needs is all absolutely good. He's good in all those ways and he's good in so many more ways. One commentator wrote that this word that Jesus uses for good is that it describes someone who is morally beautiful. He is the morally beautiful shepherd. What a contrast to what has just happened to this man in John 9 as he's been reviled and cast out. Jesus is the one who is good. So, how has he proven that he is the good shepherd? How does his care impact how we will live today? Those are two questions we can ask and we can find the answers again in our text. In this passage, Jesus doesn't just describe himself as the good shepherd. He says what he will do to prove his goodness. John 10, verse 11, the gospel. I am the good shepherd. What will he do to prove it? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So Jesus proved his teaching about himself by laying down his life. Christianity is the only religion in the world that isn't based on the sacrifices we give to God. It's based on the sacrifice that God made of his own life for us. Consider the description of Jesus in Philippians 2, where we have Jesus making himself nothing, giving up his life, proving to be a good shepherd. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and not, not just in human likeness is the, the purpose of this passage, but a lowly servant. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so not only did he lay down his life, but he did in the most dramatic, loving way possible for the sake of us, his sheep. When we recite the Apostles' Creed, we say we believe that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And the Heidelberg Catechism has great teaching on what it means that Jesus suffered, what it means that Jesus laid down his life 
for the sheep? Question and answer 37 of the Catechism teach, what do you consider or what do you understand by the word suffered? That during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that by his suffering, by the laying down of his life at the cross, he would be our atoning, our only atoning sacrifice. And in doing this, he might deliver us, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace righteousness, and eternal life. How do you know someone really loves you? How do you really know that someone loves you? Is it because they just say so? Well, it's good to hear that. We should hear that, hopefully, in our families regularly. It helps to hear those words that someone loves us, but the old saying is true. Actions speak louder than words. Love is proven through sacrifice. The goodness of our good shepherd is proven and confirmed through the cross. Jesus said in John 15, Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That a man actually lay down his life for the good of other people. The good shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep. He died so that we could live By his wounds, we are healed. He endured torment so that we could have peace. To save the flock, the good shepherd gave up his life. You might wonder sometimes if God really loves you. You might really wonder that. Remember that Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. That the Bible is not just a collection of teachings or philosophies. It is a collection of stories of things that God has done to prove his great love for us. Of actions that God has done in Christ and that we can see are unfolding all the time as God is faithful to us today. Another way that Jesus proves he's the good shepherd is in verses 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. Does it end there? No. That I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. So this means that Jesus, we wouldn't say just was the good shepherd, but Jesus is the good shepherd who is risen from the dead and who continues to shepherd his flock. He is the good shepherd who blesses his flock in his care because he's laid down his life and also been raised to life, not only to justify us to God, but also to continue his shepherd-like care of us. What good would a dead shepherd be? If you think of a shepherd who is at work and there are wolves and threats to the flock all around and if the shepherd only died, the wolves and the thieves would go in and scatter the flock and kill and and take the sheep for themselves. But our shepherd is alive. This is one of the things we celebrate at On Easter Sunday every year, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, not just for our salvation that we would go to heaven someday, but for our current benefit that we have a shepherd who is the good shepherd, who is alive and who tends to us every day through his spirit today. 
So he died to demonstrate his love and to pay for our sin. He lives to continue to shepherd his flock. So we all need to remember today that we serve a risen Savior. He is the good shepherd still today. A third reason he's a good shepherd is that he gathers a single flock under his care. John 10, 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. That the good shepherd does not have a favorite part of the flock. (laughs) That the good shepherd works always for the benefit of all who are in the flock. Jesus did not use the word for sheep pen here that he had just used a little bit earlier. He used the word that shepherds would use for the entire flock. And so the word is actually important for how we understand a church, for how we understand a denomination. The word that we have in our English translations for flock has been mistranslated in many previous generations, most notably in the Latin Vulgate, which was a very influential translation in the medieval church. And when it was mistranslated, it taught that there was one organizational church that is the only true church, and you must be a part of that particular denomination in order to be a part of the true flock of Christ. But, but a better translation results in us seeing that there is a diverse flock of people who come in through the one shepherd who is Christ, The mistranslation results in people thinking that their denomination, maybe at times even their own individual church, is the one flock, the one true group of Jesus' followers who are in his care. And put another way, if we misunderstand this, people will say, well, there is one flock, and given that we have the right doctrine, we're in the one true herd, and anyone who even slightly disagrees with some of the teachings of, of our local congregation or of our denomination is outside the flock, outside of salvation, or maybe delusional about whether or not they're really following Jesus. But think again of the image of a shepherd. When you enter into the sheepfold through Jesus, you enjoy the benefits of belonging to him. You also enjoy the benefits of belonging with the flock, with the true church, what the the, uh, Apostles' Creed calls, we believe in the holy Catholic church and the communion of saints. It is so wonderful to think of how the good shepherd has taken care of all of his of all of his sheep. And we think of that particularly on a day of a baptism, don't we? As we think of how the good shepherd has been faithful to all of his flock and will be faithful also to little Avery Dykesorn throughout her life. Just thinking about generational care that God gives through his spirit and through the church. Some of you have lived through a world war You have lived through recessions, temptations, earthquakes, church splits, other discouragements, but Jesus has taken care of you. Jesus has kept for himself a community guarded and protected for his namesake. As Jesus has cared for you, so he will take care of Avery Dykeshorn. Before I conclude, Let's apply the shepherd-like work of Christ to how we are called then to live. 
How does this example of the good shepherd impact your attitude, your approach to life, your, um, your understanding of, of what you are to do in your work, in your family life, or in the church? First, we can say the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and in Philippians 2 it said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So if our Lord laid down his life, if he lived a sacrificial lifestyle, and if we claim to follow Jesus, we need to ask ourselves, am I engaged in truly sacrificial ministry today? Am I laying down my life for the good of others, for the good of my family, for the good of the church, for the good of my neighbors? This isn't just a question of attending church or volunteering occasionally. Are you laying down your life for the good of others. Husbands, the Apostle Paul writes, love your wives and give yourselves up for them as Christ gave himself up for the good of the church. A good shepherd of a family lays down his life for the sheep. Likewise, wives, love your husbands and submit to them as unto the Lord. Give yourself up for the good of your husband and your family, those in your life. Children, we have the commandment from the Old Testament, honor your father and mother. What will that require of children? A lot of sacrifice of their emotions, of their plan, of what they think should be happening. Honor your father and mother will require that you lay down your own plan and your own emotions to show respect and honor to your parents at times. Every Christian home should be a place where we see evidence of sacrifice all the time. Congregations should be places, communities, where we see people not coming in to, to get their ego fed and to, um, to get applauded, but places where we see people who come to serve. And serve not just in superficial kind of convenient ways, but serve sacrificially, giving up your life, laying it down for the good of others. Jesus died to forgive our sins, but his death is also an example of humility that the Christian is called to exhibit in all the spheres of your life. Lastly, the result of having a good shepherd for our daily life is that you should not be afraid. Do not be afraid, as it says in the Gospel of Luke. Have no fear, little flock, for the Father has chosen to give you the kingdom. Do you fear what will happen to you? Do you worry about what might happen to you? Are you thinking about your job and your family and the world around us? Are you afraid of what will happen in the church or in a community? Are you functioning out of fear or out of trust in our Good Shepherd? He's a Good Shepherd. He's an active shepherd. He's a risen Savior. He's at work today. Do you trust Him? Or do you live with worry and fear determining so much of your decision makings and so many of your, your attitudes day by day? Do we baptize Avery Dykesorn out of fear? There's a situation I heard of in the, the community where my parents grew up where a, a baby was not allowed to go outside it would just go home from the hospital to the house and the baby would not go outside until it was on its way to be baptized at the church. 
and then it would be baptized at the church, and it was sort of a a superstitious, fear-based way of thinking about baptism, as if all the demons that are outside in the world were going to to get around the good shepherd somehow and get to that baby. That's a way of doing baptism out of fear. But brothers and sisters, we baptize Avery Dykesoren out of faith in Jesus as the good shepherd who will be with her throughout her life. Every person who is in Christ has a good shepherd. A good shepherd. Do you trust him every day? To close, I want to ask you to open your Bibles again to Psalm 23. And I ask you to open those Bibles because it would be good if we could keep this open as the sacrament is also distributed. So I'll invite elders to come forward now as well. You can sit in the front row for a moment. So we have a good shepherd. He's faithful. He's strong, full of grace. And those are our ideas that are sometimes a little bit abstract. But we need to hear some ways that the shepherd cares for us. And so we're now going to read aloud together as a church all of Psalm 23. I want you to hear your own voice making this profession of faith in the assembly of believers. And even after we read, I would encourage you to keep the, the Bible open to Psalm 23. And as the sacrament is being distributed, you might look down at some of the descriptions of Christ and be thankful. And just read, reread, read again as the sacrament is, is uh, if you're holding on to the bread or holding on to the cup. And just be in awe of the goodness of our shepherd. And just worship him. And so, again, I want to read this aloud to conclude my message this morning. Let's all read together the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. O Lord, we worship you. You who have saved us. You who have redeemed us through Christ. You who continue to shepherd us, care for us, guide us perfectly all the time. O God, we thank you that our good shepherd Jesus has laid down his life for us the flock in your care. 
God, we pray that as we celebrate the laying down of Jesus' life, the death of Jesus at the cross, that we would be filled with gratitude, but God, we also repent of our sin and of the ways that we have strayed away from the flock. God, we pray that you will forgive us in Christ, that you would restore our souls again, that you would nourish us here at the table prepared for us. Oh God, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.